Hey everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today on our episode, we will be going over four new films that just came out on streaming services and VOD. We'll be talking all about Greyhound, Old Guard, Palm Springs, and First Cow. Are you excited to talk about these movies? I'm excited. We have lots of things to talk about. <laughs> lots of opinions. We can definitely say, though, that we liked some of these movies. I'm sure I can say I liked parts of every single one of these, but overall is a different story. <laughs> I was similar, I guess. So without any theatrical releases this summer, things look a little bit different than in summer's past, of course, but... Three of the four films that we're going to talk about today had pretty big stars, and they were all released directly onto streaming platforms. So we had Tom Hanks in Greyhound, which was on Apple TV+, Charlize Theron in The Old Guard, which was on Netflix, and then Andy Samberg in Palm Springs on Hulu. And this really made me think of the idea that maybe we have a new normal for summer movies. Typically, We have these big franchise movies or blockbusters that hit theaters over the summer, and they're from major studios like Sony, Disney. But this summer, because of the pandemic, we're seeing these summer films go directly to streaming. And I'm wondering if even when things do get back to, I can't even say normal really, but once we're able to get back into theaters, I wonder if seeing the success of these films will make summer movies look different in the future what do you think about that and don't forget about hamilton we got last week too on another big platform disney plus so right i think you're right you might be onto something and it's funny how way back when with jaws how that was a turning point in wanting to bring people to theaters during the summer and now we're seeing a change because of an unforeseen turning point that this all might change and it still might bring money into the box office, but in a different way. It's interesting that the beginning of the pandemic saw all of these VOD releases and having to pay $20. And I don't think it's because people complained, but I wonder if it will continue, like you've said, as a streaming platform kind of viewing experience and not these potentially more expensive renting of films like Tenant per se, you know, who knows when we're getting Tenant, and will it be released on VOD? I think that's a big question that I'm starting to think of now. Yeah, it's curious. Thinking back, far back, to Trolls World Tour being the big VOD movie, and now we have kind of all of these interesting, we can definitely say, releases that are coming to streaming platforms. It's nice being able to have that experience but I'm also wondering after reading a lot of the reviews of these movies and even looking at my own reactions to these movies am I just bored and starving for content (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there when we talk about these individually I think I think we're pushing through this new normal of we don't know what's coming we don't know when things are going to change if they're going to change for the better for the worse And right now we're just kind of used to watching movies at home. And I'm such a nerd. We can start talking about Greyhound now. But when I was watching Greyhound, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is Apple TV Plus's entry into the awards conversation because it was my first film of theirs that I had seen. I had watched The Morning Show, but I hadn't seen any films that they'd 
purchased yet or developed. And that is the first place where my brain went was, okay, what does Apple TV Plus's seat at the table look like? And I think I'm more curious after seeing this one about their A24 partnership. I think that those films might be a little more at my alley, thinking specifically about Boys State after seeing that trailer. But Greyhound, before I get ahead of myself here, was directed by Aaron Schneider, who actually won an Oscar in 2004 for Best Live Action Short. And this stars Tom Hanks, Elizabeth Shue, and Stephen Graham. And it was actually written by Tom Hanks and C.S. Forrester also. Just generally, Greyhound focuses around U.S. Navy Commander Ernest Krauss, played by Tom Hanks, and he's assigned to lead an Allied convoy across the Atlantic during World War II. His convoy, however, is pursued by German U-boats, and although this is Krauss's first wartime mission, he finds himself embroiled in what would come to be known as the longest, largest, and most complex naval battle in history, the Battle of the Atlantic. What were your first impressions of Greyhound watching it at home? I think there was a lot of potential going in. It sets up the story pretty stereotypically. You have this man going to war. He's leaving behind his presumed soon-to-be fiance Elizabeth Shue, who I love so much. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting, <laughs> Hollow Man. Those are my two random likes of hers. Right when I saw her, I instantly thought of Adventures in Babysitting and just that iconic opening that I love so much and I was excited <laughs> to see her. Do I think her role was as fleshed out as I would want it to be? No, but I was still happy to see her. Absolutely not. She's in there for a minute yeah. and that's it. And she doesn't come back. There's no <laughs> like her story arc would have been the perfect closing for the movie. Tom Hanks comes home, comes back to her and they get married on some island like he said. And mm-hmm. I think it was fine how it was. And it's also like the gun metaphor where you expect it to show up later and she doesn't. Thinking about Elizabeth Shue too, I usually enjoy when films are 90 minutes. That's great. Love a good short film I can just throw on. But this one to me felt like it could have used an extra 20 to 30 minutes potentially. I felt that There were some things that I wanted to know more about. I felt that Tom Hanks really saved this movie for me. I thought he did a great job in it, but it didn't pull at my heartstrings at all, like the war movies that I love do, because I didn't really get to know the characters as well as I wanted to. And I think that with a little bit more time, we could have seen that. It felt like a lot maybe was left on the cutting room floor. Did you feel that way when you were watching it? Not necessarily, but I definitely agree with what you're saying. We're kind of thrown into the action, and it's just go, go, go. And that it's thrilling. It's fun, but it's interesting because now I'm critiquing Tom Hanks, not only as the actor, but the screenwriter. And I'm not sure I agree with all of his choices in writing mm-hmm. because it's Basically, so this wasn't a movie you can just like put on and listen to in the background. You really have to watch. And I had the subtitles on because there were just a lot of things going on. Editing is very quick and it's just numbers the whole time. Mm -hmm. Lots of details like that. And I think too, with all of the battle sequences and more attention to that, I thought of Dunkirk. But I think what worked for me with Dunkirk was the interesting structure 
I felt that that combined with the precise technical elements was just a recipe for a wonderful war movie that didn't have a lot of character development. And then you look at the other end of the spectrum, which is something like a 1917 where you're really in there with the characters as you go on this journey with our lead character. And this one, I felt that the only reason I really cared about the Tom Hanks character was because he was Tom Hanks. I think if it was a different actor, I really don't know how invested I would have been. I totally agree. It's just a very action-heavy movie, and there are a lot of characters. And there's a scene later on where they have this ceremony where three men have died, and they have this burial ceremony at sea for them. But I wasn't really emotionally invested or pulled by this moment, because the the ceremony doesn't really even end it's just they're thrown into another battle it felt strange the transition there because there wasn't much of one it just and maybe the point of that is that you just are thrown into another battle but I didn't really see it that way when I was watching did you recognize Stephen Graham in the movie from anything else was that the guy underneath yeah he looked familiar but I didn't know from what he's Tony Pro in The Irishman the one who wears the shorts to the meeting with Al Pacino. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I recognized him from something Miami, and I well. thought, okay, I need to look this up. What is he from? And the Irishman. And really the only remorse that we get for Tom Hanks's character is that his feet are bloody and he switches into his moccasins that Elizabeth got him. And then he's cold outside and he orders his messenger to get his sheepskin coat from his room and he doesn't eat because he's so invested and that wasn't enough for me to care and then in the end when the other boat is cheering for the greyhound the dicky i think and tom hanks is tearing up i was like okay that's it that's the ending that part did get me a little bit i think it was the score oh no (laughs) i think we've both said this in a way already a little bit but if you had to give greyhound one oscar what would it be i mean it would be tom hanks yeah Yeah, it has to be. And I think it's more of a Golden Globes nomination than an Oscar one. Mm -hmm. But at this point of the year, like, what Best Actor nominees do we have? Delroy Lindo. Okay. He's number one. But I mean, otherwise... Not that many. I mean, upcoming we've talked about, but still, yeah. Ben Affleck in The Way Back. (laughs) Tom Hanks would make the top five. So... Yeah. He has a chance. It's interesting how I think Greyhound plays into a similar first feature film for Apple TV Plus as The Morning Show did for them. And I think The Morning Show is doing really well in the Emmys run, at least for nominations. So I'm interested to see if Apple TV pushes as hard for Greyhound as it does in their Emmy race. I'm curious to see that too. And I think if your first feature is... Well, this isn't their first feature because they had The Banker before... But if your kind of first big one in the awards conversation is one with a really well-known, lauded actor, and it gets him a push for another Oscar nomination potentially, then I think you've done your job. Also, they have Killers of the Flower Moon coming, the Scorsese DiCaprio. That was a big acquisition. Huge. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's going to be the big one where they're competing with Netflix. But I think for now, I mean... This is a solid movie. 
I know we're critiquing it, but I'm sure that a lot of dads are going to fire this up if they didn't already this weekend. And they're going to just say, yeah, Greyhound, good movie, Tom Hanks. And that's fine, too. They also have On the Rocks coming, which is Sofia Coppola's next movie. Right. And Boy State, we've mentioned time and time again. So they really do have 2020, 2021, some really big contenders here. Like I said up top, I nerded out a little bit just thinking, okay, here's this new player in the streaming wars conversation. How do they factor in? And I think it's a really good start. And I'm excited to see where they go. So a little segment here. We're just going to number bomb a ton of Tom Hanks movies. We have 20 of his films. Let's do it. First up, we have Big. It's a nom for me. Nom for me as well. Sleepless in Seattle. Definite nom. Nom for me. You've got mail. That's a nom. Nom. This is one of my favorite rom-coms ever. Oh, wow. Toy Story. Nom. Obviously nom. Yeah. (laughs) The Post. Total bomb. (laughs) This is a bomb for me, too. I love Tom Hanks, but... Jason Robards will always be Ben Bradley to me in All the President's Men. This might have been my least favorite movie of the year. Oh, my God. Of the Best Picture nominations, yes, I would say. Castaway. Nom. Nom for me. Captain Phillips. This is a nom for me. Nom for me, too. Saving Mr. Banks. Bomb. This is a nom for me. I, I thought he and Emma Thompson did a good job in this. I'll agree with that. Just not my favorite. (laughs) Extremely loud and incredibly close. I'm really scared to say nom. I'm going to say bomb again. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a seven-year-old movie. I definitely need to rewatch. Yes, you do. (laughs) Forrest Gump. I mean, you have to nom it. It hasn't aged well, but nom. This is obvious. Nom for me as well. Cloud Atlas. This is a total nom for me too. Too long, but nom. The Terminal. Nom. Same. Da Vinci Code. This is a bomb for me. Bomb. Definitely. (laughs) Fun book, not for a movie adaptation. Apollo 13. Nom. Hands down. Nom for me as well. Philadelphia. The very emotional nom. Agreed. Nom. Catch me if you can. Nom. This was my first movie of 2020, actually. Really? Yeah. I had seen it before, but this is a nom for me. Okay. Polar Express. This was not one of my go-to holiday movies, but I'm going to give it a nom. I'm scared to say this because I know people like it, but I have to give it a bomb. I'm really scared of the animation. It is really horrifying. Saving Private Ryan. Nom. Nom for me, too. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Another emotional nom for me. Nom for me as well. And last but not least, Bridge of Spies. Nom. I actually really like this movie. <laughs> oh, you don't like it? This is a bomb for me. Oh, no. I did not like it. <laughs> I was so bored. We had to have a couple we disagreed on. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to your favorite movie of the bunch, The Old Guard. <laughs> this is a whole bunch of mess. I mm, took me four sittings to finish this movie. I just did not care. What did you think of it? I actually found it pretty entertaining as far as action movies go. I'm not the type of person who gets really excited for action movies. Netflix has made quite a few. 
Extraction, Triple Frontier. And when they drop, I don't watch them immediately. But this one, I love Charlize Theron. I think that she was a great star in it, but I didn't love it. But I was entertained by it. Your comment about waiting to watch action movies, I completely agree. I do want to watch Extraction, which is also on Netflix with Chris Hemsworth, because that did do really well. And I've seen some videos on Instagram of the action sequences, and I love behind the scenes things, and it looks really well done. This was just not a smart movie, and I don't expect that from action movies, and I think that's why I stray from them. We're looking at you, Marvel, where you have an equation. While you're there, would you rather watch... Avengers Endgame or The Old Guard? I would have to pick The Old Guard. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay. I don't know why. You would pick Endgame? Yeah, I would. Oh. I at least Endgame is more fun. While it's too long and I have plenty of problems with it, it is more fun. Maybe Endgame was the wrong movie to choose for that question, but was this at least more interesting to you as a person who doesn't like Marvel movies than one of those? Well, if we're talking Black Panther, which is my only Marvel movie that I really liked, then no, I would 100% watch that. But if we're talking the old guard and the soon-to-be old guard 2 with Infinity War and Endgame, then absolutely not. I am not going to sit through six hours of battle sequences and the same thing they've done time after time. I liked that the old guard tried to be inventive and bring about this immortal meets historical fiction, meets battling pharmaceutical company madmen storyline, but they went about it in a completely wrong way. So there was a tweet by Charles Bromesco. He tweeted about the old guard. He said it has the look of high-budget TV and the soundtrack of low-budget TV. We'll get to that. And the script of an unproduced pilot. That's exactly how I felt about it. The script to me felt more like a YA novel, actually. That's what it reminded me of. Like, I could picture this being... And it is based on a graphic novel series, but it reminded me of one of those books that I would have read when I was 12 or 13 about this group of immortals who... Yeah, there's a historical fiction element to it. It reminded me of that. And maybe that's why I'm not as harsh on it as you are. (laughs) I think I expected or wanted a more mature outcome, not young adult content. So maybe that's where I was kind of disappointed because they are these interesting themes and ideas and it just didn't go, didn't really go anywhere. Mm. So before we get too much into it, so this movie, The Old Guard on Netflix, was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, who did Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights. And if you're thinking about her films, this is a definite pivot away from those romantic stories for her. And I think that the things that I found most interesting about this were the relationship dynamics. But I think that this script was a little thinner than I wanted it to be and could have gone into those relationships even more than it did because I thought that was that was what worked for me the most in this. The relationship specifically between Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane, who you might recognize from If Beale Street Could Talk, if you've seen that. The relationship between them as kind of a mentor and a student 
I liked seeing that relationship between two women in this film, especially in an action film. We don't really see that very often. So that was something that I enjoyed. But I agree with you that the pacing was strange. And generally, I did have issues with the script. I did like that the women were in the forefront especially the final shot are the two women in the foreground and two men in the background. And I liked that their relationship was the most complex, I guess. But to me, it seemed, I don't know. I was talking with a friend this morning and I agreed. He said that they were just kind of checking boxes with all the characters. They had Charlize, this badass. Really, I, I just kept thinking Anne Flux, which is like her same persona. There's a black soldier two gay guys who have been together for eternity and then this alcoholic Frenchman. I don't know. If it is just checking boxes and there isn't intentionality behind it, then that is a problem. I think that I, while I see that point of view, I also, maybe it's because I like love and basketball. I trust this director a little bit more to create those characters and those relationships with intentionality. How did you feel about the soundtrack? Let's talk about that. Ooh. It was just rough. I don't know why they wanted to mix this like new age pop slash action feel music with what was going on. There's a scene towards the end where Niall is going up the elevator and the song is supposed to be like very moving and Chiwetel sends her off into the elevator and she says, you should get out of here before the noise starts. The lyrics of the song start playing. If it's the end of the world, I'm going down fighting. It's like, give me a break. Come on. Be a little implicit in what you're trying to say. So just not great. And then there's a marshmallow featuring Khalid's song later on. It's like these moments should have been like fun score, really intense moments building you up and getting your heart racing. And not these slow modern songs that they were trying to relate to younger people. That's how I kind of felt. What? How did you feel? The songs reminded me of what would play in like an express or a store like that in the Midwest. Forever 21. (laughs) Yeah. Forever 21 or H&M. Like I was just thinking of what I hear when I go in stores like that begrudgingly or when I did when I was in high school. And those songs took me out of the movie very much. So where I would think like this is supposed to be a serious moment and it turned into a laughable one because I had my subtitles on and I would see the song that would come up and I would just think, why is this L King song playing right now? I think the last time we had a badass Charlize Theron was with Mad Max Fury Road. And that was just a perfect movie. And maybe I just have too high of standards, but going from Mad Max to the old guard was not the place I wanted to go. And Charlize is really good in this. I like her in everything and I think she's become one of these defining action stars but if you do have Mad Max Fury Road as your that's your standard then I mean good luck to any director reaching that she did the best with what she was given and again I think that's fine what did you think of the flashback and then because I did like that as another component to the storyline and then with that flashback coming back into play in the credits we can spoil i feel it's fine the flashback was fun i think they were both really good actors in that scene but did we need her to come back in the end and sprout the sequel i also don't i haven't read the graphic novels so i don't know where that story goes and if this was inclusive or not of 
the potential next storyline we have. So if it is in the novel, I say great, but this kind of ties back into Big Little Lies season two, where if they force it too much and they don't do it right, then it could end in a bad way. I mean, I can guarantee that you will not be watching The Old Guard 2. <laughs> Either way, I won't. Yeah, so I, I just need to stop being mean. So if you had to give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I'm giving zero Oscars right now. So <laughs> what would you give it? What's your pick? I think it would be Charlize. I think that's the only one that I could think of if I had to. Like if I'm following the rules of the game and doing this with every movie it would be best actress for Charlize I think that she cemented herself as the action star of our time so I think I would honor her there she wasn't even nominated for Mad Max though for Golden Globes or the Academy Awards I wish she was but I'm I'm really not surprised I think that actors in action films usually aren't even that was a really good one especially women Okay, so on to maybe my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. Palm Springs. I absolutely love this movie. Favorite comedy in quite a moment, too. Wow. I I loved it, too. But what did you love about it? It felt so inventive and new. I guess I didn't know what was going to happen. I had heard time loop groundhog's day of it before but i hadn't seen a trailer so it was i was going in pretty blind but i loved the comedy so much and their acting as a duo andy samberg and kristen miliotti felt so believable yeah i think you hit on something really important saying that it feels inventive but what i found so interesting about that is that it uses a trope that is used in a lot of comedies like groundhog day about time even with this time loop time travel aspect but it still feels really fresh and inventive and totally of this moment which is so interesting it works so well for the time that we're in I found the chemistry between Andy Samberg Mm -hmm. and Kristen Milioti like lightning in a bottle we really don't get that very often and I thought that it was just a really charming romantic comedy and perfect to watch at home. I didn't feel like I needed the theater for it, like I did really with Greyhound or The Old Guard. So you kind of mentioned this, and I think it's the perfect quarantine movie, not only because it it makes us forget about reality for just about 90 minutes, and I love that so much, but it's also this feeling of we keep waking up in the same day because we're stuck in our apartments and our homes and we don't know when it's going to end it feels like it's going on forever so I think that played so so well into this moment and I think is going to help it do well with people quick little summary of what Palm Springs is about it's about this guy named Niles and this woman named Sarah who is the maid of honor at her sister's wedding and they have this chance encounter at the wedding in Palm Springs and things start to get complicated when they're unable to escape anything the venue themselves each other the day because they get trapped in this time loop it's directed by Max Barbacow and it stars Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, J.K. Simmons, June Squibb. Great cast. And you can stream it on Hulu. Incredible cast. Mm-hmm. We can go into J.K. in a minute. But June Squibb, who I absolutely love. What did you think of her in this? Because she's only in a couple minutes. 
I heard somewhere that she was there for maybe a couple days and she's in two scenes and she has some really interesting lines. So what did you think about her? June Squibb is great in this. She has this line where she says, now that you'll be going soon. And I found that to be really witchy and mystical. And the whole film has this vibe of magical realism to it. But that line right with the Kate Bush song cloud busting near the end. I just thought this is the perfect witchy movie. I didn't really view her character that deeply. I I didn't think about it as a metaphor for anything else per se, but I just liked seeing her there. And I thought that that line was interesting. I listened to the next best picture podcast right before this on their talk about Palm Springs. And they mentioned how, Niles, who is Andy Samberg's character's name, plays into nihilism of his entire character. Definitely. And so is June Squibb playing God where she can see what the characters are up to and doing? Because she says this line that you mentioned and she knows that they're leaving. I think that I thought of it again as like more mystical than religious, if that makes sense. Right. But as like another higher power maybe i think that's an interesting read i hadn't thought about it that way but that could definitely be true she totally didn't have to be in this movie but the fact that they did put her in as this very strange family member at the wedding was amazing i loved seeing her there and i loved seeing jk simmons too so jk simmons plays roy he's trying to get revenge because niles also trapped him in this time loop where he has to live the same day over and over and over again and this jk simmons performance was really funny and very witty and i love seeing him in anything but seeing him kind of tap into that menacing character reminded me a lot of whiplash and i love whiplash i just saw JK in Defending Jacob, which is a completely different role. And he has done a lot of serious acting. I did love that he had this comedic break, but also towards the end, he does have this realization of finally finding this contentness in his life. (laughs) And some of his lines are just so wacky, which is kind of what I love about this movie so much. The comedy is so good. Andy Samberg is so funny in this movie. Just little things that he would do, I would crack up when he was dancing. I just was like, this is exactly what I need right now. I feel like I dismiss him too much because he is this very comical SNL kind of actor. And there's no real seriousness to him. But Mm -hmm. I feel like this was so perfect for him. And he kind of just went with it and had a blast One thing that I really loved about it too, Kristen Milioti, I really only knew from How I Met Your Mother. I didn't really know her from anything else. So I was really surprised by her performance. I don't mean that in a negative or condescending way at all. I thought she was really lovely in this and did a really great job. And I also really liked the relationship dynamic between Niles and Sarah. It felt very even as opposed to Groundhog Day, where it's very much centered on the man trying to figure out the woman. This felt very even and that they were both trying to figure out this life. Niles, again, playing off of nihilism, 
he's just come to terms almost with the fact that this is the world that he's living in and he's kind of stuck here. And Sarah, because it is a newer change in her life, she's determined to get out. But even though they approach this problem very differently, the discovery of the feelings for each other and the relationship felt even to me. And I really liked that. And I thought that that was, again, an inventive and fresh take on something that's been done before. I agree. Everything just felt believable. Even though we're in this sci-fi realm, it still felt like, okay, if this was happening, their love would actually be real. So I just looked up Kristen Milioti. There are two performances that I did not know. I forgot about one of them and the other one I'm totally shocked by. Do you know what these are? I just remembered one. It just came back to me and it's Leo's wife in The Wolf of Wall Street before Margot yes. Robbie. I just remembered <laughs> that. So I have seen her in something besides How I Met Your Mother. What's the other one? I need to go back and find this, but she was in The Sopranos, according to IMDb. Who was she in The Sopranos? I feel like a bad Italian. It says Catherine Sacrimoni. I have no idea. She was in three episodes in the final season. That's wild. I may need to go back and revisit those. Yeah. Very fun. This one, I think, because it was a romantic comedy and because I was enjoying it so much, it didn't really matter how the science worked to me. I just kind of pushed that to the back burner and thought I really want them to figure this out whether they're trapped or they get out even though I want them to get out I cared more about the characters than about the science I felt like the quantum physics montage was done perfectly where they were addressing this very scientific notion but they didn't take it too seriously where they were trying to explain it my other thought is about the ending did you like how it ended or not I loved how it ended my interpretation of the ending is that Sarah's plan works and they escape, they get out. And I think I like that there is a little bit of ambiguity and that they leave it open to interpretation just a little bit because I think if it was this happily ever after ending, it wouldn't fit with the tone of the rest of the film. So I liked that ending. I felt that it was really the perfect way to end it. How did you feel about the ending? I think it was like the perfect ending to this movie that was already perfect. I loved, it was the credit scene that did it for me because it brought it back to including everybody, tying all of their ends. The fact that Sarah had sent a letter to Roy about what they did and how to get out of the loop was so fitting. I really didn't expect them to include that because Roy had some finality to his character and he came to terms with where his life was going to end up that he wouldn't age that he wouldn't see his kids age and that was that but it was also interesting that we kind of learned that they time traveled back a little bit to before the wedding and that Niles and Sarah never actually met Roy in real life and that she had sent him the letter and he didn't know who Roy was when he came to the bar and tried to talk to him like they did in the beginning of the movie. And I loved how they brought things back too. So in terms of awards, if you gave this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? I think I would go with best original screenplay. I thought that it was funny. I thought that it was full of good decisions very inventive, like I've said. So that would be my pick. What about you? Yeah, I agree. For those reasons alone, that's the perfect contender in this category. And I think 
you know, there could actually be some potential with just what has been out so far. I think this definitely has some really big Golden Globes chances too. When I watched this, that is what I thought. Golden Globes all over this. My first thought actually when I watched this was you said earlier about Andy Samberg being this SNL type of comedian was, oh, poor Pete Davidson in that best actor musical comedy. I think Andy Samberg plays better with critics and with voting bodies. I mean, the Hollywood Forum Press is another story altogether, but I think there could be room for both of them since they do split into drama and musical comedy, but with similar vibes and characteristics to both performers, I think I could see them leaning Andy Samberg. Right. And I know Brooklyn Nine-Nine won. So I, I know they have an affinity for Andy Samberg. And I think I would agree they would give it to him. I think Kristen Milioti has potential here too. And even as picture, as comedy. So I'm excited to see, really hope this one turns around in the award season. I think that it definitely has potential, especially for Golden Globes. All around, this one is so much fun and a perfect quarantine watch. It really makes you think, what would you do if you were stuck with the same person day in, day out? If you had to live the same reality each day, which sounds like marriage and quarantine, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So next up, our last movie that we're going to be talking about is First Cow. Initial thoughts, what'd you think? Similarly to how you expressed this adoration for Palm Springs. I'm going to do that with First Cow. I thought this was just the little film that could. It was so beautiful and so unexpected to me. When I first started it, I did not expect to have the emotional reaction that I did to it. I don't think you felt the same way. So how did you feel about it? You're going to have to explain yourself a little bit then. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt the first half was so slow, which I think is part of Kelly Reichert's filmmaking. And I think that it's not for me. I think it is very telling of a story in itself, though. She does this in all of her movies, Meeks cut off certain women. So it's just the way she tells stories and they're a little bit more muted. But the first half for me was just like, I had to keep chugging along. And once the baking element came about, my mind kind of perked up (laughs) a little bit. So thank God for that. But the second half was more intriguing and and involved too. So I did end up liking it overall. Just some general information about the movie. Directed by Kelly Reichert. Stars John Magaro and Orion Lee and Eve the Cow. The star of the movie, really. <laughs> it's an A24 release. We love to see it. And you can stream it on Prime for $12.99 or in local theater screening rooms. It's about a skilled cook that has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in the Oregon Territory, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business. Kind of a disjointed IMDb summary, as we all know, but it hits the high points. What you said about her pacing and her style, I think you're right in that it's not for everyone. I love it. And I really find it interesting that she, so in interviews before, when people ask her about the slowness of her films, she specifically has said, I want you to feel what time felt like in 1820. And I think that is so beautiful. She wants you to feel what this life is like back then. You also don't like slow, really. 
Like, you don't like Joanna Hogg either, I feel. And I think she has a similar style. That was different because I was so intrigued by the characters. That kind of fueled my interest a little bit more. Okay. I think the relationship here between the cook and the immigrant develops well. And I liked bringing that back to the initial quote that they show and kind of what defines this movie. I think the slow worked for me where she used long takes and very interesting choices of the material she was shooting. Some of the shots were from inside their little house and showed the immigrant outside the window while the door was empty. I don't know if you remember those, but mm-hmm. that those were great. The placement to me was spot on. She knows exactly where to put the camera, and I love her love of the four to three aspect ratio. She is able to, for me at least, create suspense and intrigue in very mundane moments. She does this in Meek's Cutoff too, which I watched and I know you're not a fan of, but I really liked that one too. (laughs) I do think that First Cow is a much easier hang than Meek's Cutoff. Mm-hmm. That one that one takes some getting used to. But I think that what I really love about First Cow is that it's a tale of friendship. I love the friendship between these two men. And I also love that it is this cautionary tale about industry and capitalism. And she creates this stark contrast between nature and technology in how capitalism can rear its ugly head. And I know that I sound like a hippie. When I'm saying all of this, (laughs) but I thought, especially right now, I really loved seeing a film that distilled everything down to very simple principles. And you mentioned the epigraph at the beginning, which is also in the source material. It's based on a book, Half-Life by Jonathan Raymond, who also co-wrote the screenplay with Kelly Reichert. And the quote is, the bird, a nest, the spider, a web, man, friendship. And just how core friendship is to our lives, what we create. And again, I just found this to be really poignant and beautiful and just a lovely watch. Okay, so the ending. I love the ending. So the man who doesn't get his cakes is the same man. I hate that squirrely little man. (laughs) He's so annoying. He gets so mad when he doesn't get his cake. Anyway. But that was the same guy at the end who had the gun and was presumed from the cut between shots that he was aiming his gun at the two men. But then nothing happens. Everything happens. At the very beginning, we see the two skeletons together. So he kills them. It's so subtle. We don't see them die. That's why I like it. We just... The last moment is of them together. And... I liked that circle back. That's how she is. It's very deliberate and quiet. And I think it fits very nicely with that epigraph at the beginning. And I think that's why I liked the ending so much. Because, as I said, using the aspect ratio that she does, she creates this unique suspense. I was looking through my fingers a little bit. Like, oh no, are we going to see them get shot? Is that going to happen? But of course not. We don't see that. We see the film end the way it begins with these two men in friendship and this theme of friendship. And while we don't understand it at the beginning as much, we've come to see it at the end. I really loved that. My other favorite aspect, I would say, is the care she puts on process. So these close-ups of 
the cooking, so these oily cakes and them being made. I also really want to make clafoutis now. It's just like a cake, right? Yeah, kind of like a giant pancake, okay. really, with mixed berries in it. But I learned on Top Chef, you need to bake clafoutis. You can't steam clafoutis because that happened to one of the people on it, and she ended up going home. I watched it in the Lincoln Center screening room, and it came with a Q&A after. And Kelly Reichert described the film as a caper. Mm. And like a heist movie. And I thought that was really cool because I hadn't really thought of it that way. It invoked similar feelings in me that movies like that do, but I hadn't thought of it until she described it that way. So I also thought that was really interesting. There was a lot of tension created, even in these quiet moments when they're stealing milk from the cow, which is honestly, nobody's taking the milk. I don't understand why the British were so upset by this, but you were so scared to either have the Chinese man fall from the tree or hear somebody come up and find them or something happen, the cow make a noise. There were so many chances for them to get caught before they did. And I loved feeling so scared for them. I did too. I really loved that. And I also loved the quiet moments of Cookie played by John Magaro when he was milking the cow, him talking to her. I thought that was so sweet and just... We've all, I think, especially if you have pets, have like talked to them before and you feel weird when you're doing it, but you do it anyway. And I think, too, Kelly Riker talks about how the actors on set having animals around is something that really calms them down and it forces a slower pace actually on the shooting of the film. And I thought that that was really interesting, too. The whole quote of man friendship also in turn means man friendship with the cow. And you see the cow at the very end when they bring this cloth routine over. When the cow recognizes Cookie, I think that's another interesting relationship that Reichert is impressing all of these relationships we make with people, with animals, things, and how they affect us. Definitely. So if you had to give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I would give this cinematography, like I I talked about her shots and choices with the camera, and that was really impressive to me. What about you? What would you give it? I would go with Best Director. As I mentioned, I adore her. To me, she is, and you're going to think this is hyperbolic, so just sit tight. Stay with me. (laughs) To me, she's a combination of her mentor, Todd Haynes, Terrence Malick, Robert Eggers, Joanna Hogg. I see shades of all of them in her, but she has a vision and a style that is so unique and all her own. And I would love it if she got her due this year with this film. I think she deserves it. She does have a really unique vision, and I think she should be commended for it, especially in an Oscars sort of way at some point. I think if it was for any picture so far, this would be it. Mm Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So Stream vs. Cow, especially if you like A24 films and you want to support a smaller film by a really wonderful director, but go in knowing that she has a very slow pace and style. I feel like that's fair to say, and it's not for everyone. Totally. Still a worthy movie, though. So just to end the pod, we've done this before, but on this day in Oscar history, we have a few fun little tidbits. So born on this day... Barbara Stanwyck, who had four Oscar nominations, but ultimately only won one by receiving an honorary Oscar, which is kind of upsetting. Yeah, I love Barbara Stanwyck. 
if you want to check out any of Barbara Stanwyck's movies, I love Double Indemnity. That's a really good one to watch. And I also love The Lady Eve. This one is really fun. And if you do want to get a taste of 1940s cinema, I think either of those are really great picks. Ginger Rogers was also born. She won Best Actress for Kitty Foyle. I mean, her name, she's just a big name in the business. Mm-hmm. And she's especially, I feel like I think of her as being really popular in this 1930s Hollywood musicals, especially with Fred Astaire. It's kind of how I remember her, but I need to check out Kitty Foyle because I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I haven't either. 1940. And then Stanley Shapiro was also born today. He ended up winning a Best Screenplay Oscar for Pillow Talk. I need to watch that one, too. And then William H. Reynolds died on this day. He won two Oscars for film editing, two really big movies, The Sound of Music and The Sting, both of which I love. Yeah, I agree. Not to pivot away from Reynolds, but have you ever read the book You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again? Mm -mm. I just read it. It is absolutely insane it's written by julia phillips it's her memoir um she was one of the producers of the sting who actually won a best picture oscar when she was in her 20s and oh wow if you just want to lean into what hollywood was like back then the introduction is just her on her way to the oscars for this when she was nominated for the sting and she's on every type of drug imaginable and it is so anxiety inducing oh my god but you should read it it's it's really interesting and it starts it's all about her life and going into the business and what it was like as a young woman it's fascinating so a good book recommendation too if you do want to know more about the industry thank you yeah and lastly release on this day which is crazy it's been 10 years is inception nuts I remember seeing it in theaters for the first time and it was one of, and I know I've been hard on Inception, but it was one of the first movies where I remember leaving the theater with my friends. I would have been in high school and we were all going to go home after, but we didn't because we had to talk about the movie. (laughs) It was one of those that just instantly started conversation. We went down the rabbit hole of all these different theories and I think that explains why it has such a big fan base. He just kept producing good movies. And this was kind of at the point where, okay, he's either going to start declining. But he just showed audiences that he could keep producing new content, which I think is so important in filmmaking in general. Tenant, we'll see you at some point. It's coming. Some point we will see it. And when Tenant arrives, we'll be talking about Inception again because we will do an episode all about Tenant and we will do a Nolan retrospective too, where we'll be going into his filmography and some of our favorites. So I can't wait for that when that finally ends up happening. It'll be such a fun conversation. I can't wait either. I'm excited. And for our next episode, we are going to be playing a fun game. We're going to go back to one of the Academy's failed announcements the idea for the best popular film Oscar and we're going to pretend they actually gave it out and think about what films would have been considered and which films would have won maybe 
nominate some movies over the past 10 years and yeah see if we have any winners any ones we agree on or not it'll be interesting yeah i'm excited for that so we will see you next week thank you for listening thanks guys stay safe and we'll see you next time